Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> By the way, before I read this, there is a possibility your pastors are going to go off the rails this morning. So just bear with me. Uh, I, I'm entitled, I guess, from time to time. Uh, you'll, you'll notice the oddity behind me. We'll get to that in just a minute. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? But if you, do, uh, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and pray as a part of our worship to you today, as we are here for your glory, that these words in Genesis, you would apply to our heart and our life. Thank you for the privilege of being here today in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you may have noticed the beautiful couch sitting on our stage. <clears throat> Tuesday morning around 8 o'clock, just a few minutes before I arrived, uh, when I arrived, I noticed there were a couple of couches that had been dumped in our, first, in our front parking lot out here. They just dumped it right out here in our parking lot. So the staff and I gathered around our security system camera, a monitor, and we played back uh, the video of two men arriving in a nice pickup and dumping these trashy old couches on our front parking lot. And as I watched the video, of course, my self-righteousness just boiled. And uh, I was so mad. It just made me so angry that people would dump their trash on the front parking lot of a church. Now, I can guarantee if I were to find those men, and oh, how I wanted to find them, I know what they would have said to me when I asked, why are you dumping your trash? And by the way, this is trash. The other one was trash too, and sadly, somebody came and picked it up before we could get it in here, which makes me sad for Azel, you know? <laughs> but for the Lord's house, it's trash. And if I were to ask them, why did you dump your trash on the front parking lot of a church? You know what they would tell me? We weren't dumping it, we were donating it. Isn't that sweet? Now, my anger began to, through the Spirit, maybe, I hope, through the Holy Spirit, began to well up in me an idea for a sermon. That's why it's here this morning, right behind me. It may be wonder, do we have that attitude. Do we give God our trash? So I see the couch as an opportunity. Today's message is entitled, Don't Give God Your Trash. <laughs> so if you're watching online, uh, the one who donated the couch, or you're, you're here, I hope it wasn't one of you. Surely you would have said something to me. We don't take couches, by the way. Um, but I hope that you, you listen to this. I have a special message just for them and for you and me too, because sadly, I fear that too often we are all in the same boat. 
Sadly, we don't have to read very far into the Bible to see this happen in the Word of God, both in the Old Testament multiple times and in the New Testament as well. People giving God less than their best and calling it their best. In this passage that I just read, notice that Abel actually did give the best. He uses the, first, the word first fruits. Now, Cain was a farmer, so he had grain and Abel had animals, and so he gave of his first fruit of his flocks. And there's no real distinction here. Both grain offerings and animal offerings were accepted in the Old Testament for various types of sacrifice. And it wasn't what he sacrificed. It was the heart in which he used it. And we find that out in the New Testament as well. But, but clearly in this passage, God just tells Cain, you know, if you do what's right then it will be accepted. God knew Cain's heart and something was wrong in Cain's heart. We get a hint because it says of Abel's offerings that he gave of the firstborn of his flock. That is the very firstborn means the firstborn. It was the first produce he got from his flock. But with Cain's offering, it doesn't say he gave of the first fruits. It says he gave some of the fruits of the soil. He waited until he had plenty of harvest and at, at the harvest, probably eaten some and enjoyed some. The first fruits tends to be the best of the harvest. After enjoying that, he went and got some of what was left and gave it to the Lord. Thinking, what does God know? God's not going to eat it. It's all the same to him. But God did know. Which brings us to our first point this morning. Simply, Give God your best. Write that down. Put it in your Bible. You should already know it, and you probably do already know it. Give God your best. <laughs> okay, again, forgiveness from, from the start. I want to go and I want to look at a passage or a couple of passages out of Malachi. Now, I know you're thinking Malachi, I'm going to talk about tithing. And maybe I will, but I'm not talking from that passage about tithing. There's this other passage in Malachi that's, that I like even better. You know, pastors love tithing passages. But look with me in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. By the way, this implication and this accusation from God to his people isn't the people in general that it does get to that, but he's specifically mad at the priests, that is the pastors of the day. So a little humility here on my part because it's the pastors that he's referring to. God says this, these are the words of God. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? <clears throat> By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. 
Now, before I say anything else, I have to get to the last part. I forgot it in the first service. God is saying, and he's making a comparison of what we give God compared to what we give the government. <laughs> he says, you try to give the government what you give me. And some of us would end up in jail <laughs> if we gave the government what we give God. And so that's what he says. It's, it's, you don't want to even give a standard this low to the government. So give God your best. Obviously, um, what they were doing and what God says is they were supposed to bring the best of their animals. A flawless bla uh, uh, lamb, healthy, the first fruits, the best that they had to sacrifice to God. And they weren't, what were they bringing? They were, what, what are the terms? They were crippled, diseased, blind. Those are the words. In other words, you gave me the rattiest, scraggliest animals that you have. They have one foot in the grave already. And you drug them in here before they could die on their own and gave them to me and called it a sacrifice. That's what God said. He didn't give them, or they didn't give him what was best. They gave him what was last, whatever was left. There were animals that were diseased. They couldn't even eat them. So they gave them to God instead. It's almost like, let's say you had an old couch <laughs> and it was nasty, out of style, disgusting. The animals have been living on it. In fact, you've had to cover it with a sheet for years just to tolerate the thing. And you think to yourself, I don't want that couch anymore. It's the worst thing I have in the house. I know I'll give it to God. I'll take it and dump it at the church, just hypothetically. You know, it makes me wonder if we're not going to give God our best, why do we give it all? Have you ever thought about that? Why would they give those scraggly animals to God? Why would you give a couch to God and think it's something worthwhile? Well, there are two reasons I wrote down. I, this, is what, this is probably what I do or have been guilty of doing in the past or tempted to do. And so this is why it came to my mind. We all are challenged with this. Number one, we pretend that nothing is something. We pretend that nothing is something. I like that. When we go to a sale, you go, to, you go down to, I won't say the name of the companies in case you're a manager, but I go down to some of these places and they'll have 50% off sale all the time. Of course, they set the prices and so they double the price and they put it 50% off. So it looks like it's something, but if you've shopped very long and comparison shopped, you already know that's not something, it's really nothing. And so sometimes we pretend that nothing is something when we go to God. This couch is nothing. I don't know exactly what year the pickup was, but it was a nice pickup. It was a pickup I, co I couldn't afford. <laughs> they came here, it wasn't an old ratty pickup. Now, if they come here in some old torn up pickup, bless their hearts, it'd be different. But it was a nice pickup. They could have bought a bunch of brand new couches and brought them up here, but they didn't do that. We pretend that nothing is something. This is nothing. And if you're gonna give God nothing, then give him nothing. Don't give him the worthless junk of your life and pretend that it's something. 
Now, let me give you a spiritual example. I, as a parent, am trying to teach my children always to pray before their meals. I think it's a good habit to have. We see that Jesus prayed at least some of the time before their meals. Now, disclaimer, and I've told you this before, there's nowhere in the Bible that it commands us to pray before our meals. It doesn't say you should pray before every meal. I think the Bible doesn't say that because it knows, God knows that if it says that, if he tells us to do this, it'll turn into a ritual and it won't mean anything. So interestingly enough, it didn't matter that the Bible doesn't say it. We've turned it into a ritual anyway. We can't eat until we get through the prayer. But do we mean the prayer? Is it important to us? No, we just slop it out. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for the food. Amen. It's something that we do so we can eat. But if it's not coming from here, do you think that we get half credit for that prayer? I said, amen. <laughs> no, you don't get any credit. God's up in heaven going, what are you doing that? That's weird. I didn't even command you to do that. Because I knew if I did, you would just do it as a ritual like you're doing it right now. So here's my challenge to you today. If you pray before your lunch, you better mean it. I hope you do pray. I hope it's right from here. But if it's just coming from here, don't waste God's time. He's not an idiot. He knows that you're thinking about that fried chicken <laughs> and not about him. Okay, all right. I told you off the rails. We pretend, we pretend that we pretend that what we won't miss is somehow a sacrifice. Is that not true? We pretend, we pretend that half credit is better than nothing. So half credit is good enough for us and it should be good enough for God. Maybe the guys who gave the couch thought, you know, better than no couch. No, it's not. <laughs> so for the donors of this couch, I have a special verse just for them. <sighs> Here comes, I, I feel the self-righteousness coming up. It's like a warm blanket. I love it. It's Malachi, the next chapter in chapter two. Let's see if you can catch it. <laughs> and now, O priest, by the way, this is, these, these are the words of God. And this is, this is the response of God to the priests just slopping the worst, crummiest sacrifice they can. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offering and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and, and you shall be taken away with it. Now, for the guys who gave us this couch, I want you to know... I pray that the love of God fills your heart. I pray that you fall under conviction, that you come to faith in Christ and you live a life giving your best to God and that God gives you eternal life through the same mercy that we have. But if you're not gonna do that, I pray God throws poop in your face. <laughs> just, just quoting the word of God here. Too often, we try to live on what Charles Swindle calls, uh, the, the, the Christian author, $3 worth of God. He says this, he writes this. Some of us would love to buy $3 worth of God. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. 
I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I want $3 worth of God, please. And so sometimes I think that's what we do when we come into God's house and we worship God. We just want a little smidgen, not really to dive in to God. So let me encourage you to give God your best in two ways. Number one, give to God sacrificially. Now, by the way, before, this, you, before you take this as, as I'm just here for your money, I do encourage you to tithe. It's a biblical concept. But what God is talking about here is way beyond the tithe. It, it, it extends to your talents, to your time, to your abilities, to all that you are, to your heart and how you treat people. It, 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 is, it is comprehensive in our life. But it does include the tithe. And if you're sitting there thinking, he just wants my money, I challenge you to do this. Uh, now, people may not be happy about this. I think you should tithe to your church. But if you don't want to tithe here, you find a good, there's a community care center down here that helps poor people. There is a, a pregnancy help center that helps unwed mothers or helps, helps mothers who, who are pregnant and they can't afford to, to follow through with that pregnancy. They can't afford diapers and that sort of thing. And they give them all kinds of resources. Be gracious. Give to God sacrificially. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 21, it says this. I love this passage. This is a fascinating story. A turning point in the life of David, and most people don't even remember it. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant to buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the, uh, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Now go ahead and take it, take it off there. Go back. There you go. Before we read the rest of it, there's a plague. And you and I think about David in terms of highs and lows in his life. And he certainly had highs. He wrote the Psalms. What a tremendous high. He became, a, uh, one of his descendants became our Messiah. <laughs> That's a high to get to be in the family line of, of Jesus. But there were lows also in his life, and there are two that we think of that come to our mind most often. Number one, he had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. That's pretty bad. But then to cover it up, because she got pregnant, so he sent her husband onto the front line of the battle knowing he would get killed, and he did. That's murder. So he, had a, he, he committed adultery and he committed murder. That's pretty bad. These two things don't even compare to what happened in this passage. It's interesting that we don't remember it. So there's a plague on the land and a prophet comes to David and David says, what can I do? And the prophet says, I want you to go to this guy. He's got a threshing floor and I want you to prepare an altar on the threshing floor and present an, a sacrifice to God so that he will remove the plague. Now, why is there a plague? It sounds simple to you and I, but it was not simple to God. David one day decided to do a census. In fact, God's not happy with David. He's not happy with the Israelites either. And so he allows David to give in to his own temptation 
in order to do this evil thing so that judgment might ensue. So the people are not out of this either. They're guilty as well. So David decides to do a census to count all the fighting men in Israel. There were like 800,000 of them. And so it's a huge army. I mean, just massive army, a million strong. But, and by the way, that wasn't unheard of. They could do a census. God did allow that. He allowed a census for the temple tax. If you've got a million people in your land and only 50 people are giving at the temple, well, you know, there's, there's a problem. And so he did allow a census for the temple tax, but he also had allowed a census for uh, fighting men. It, it had happened. It, it's just a matter of the king they're, they're find themselves in a life or death situation with a, a huge army massing against them and they need to assess how many guys do we have? And so they take that kind of census. This is what David does, but he doesn't do it for that reason. He's not under any threat here. He takes a census of his army so that he can brag about how mighty his army is, the army of David. How he can brag about what a great king he's been because he has amassed this great army because nobody can defeat him, not because of God, but because he's got this great army. He doesn't say that, but that's what's going on in his heart. And God knows that David is doing this out of pride. So God, through a prophet, tells David, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what God did. He sent a plague on the land for only three days, a three-day epidemic and 70,000 people died. He committed murder against one guy and adultery with one woman, but 70,000 people died because of his pride. So when he goes to this guy's lot right here, his land, and asks to buy his land, uh, he's, he's exposed. I mean, he's feeling pretty bad, and he should feel bad, obviously. Now, verse 22, if we can go back to the passage, it says, Aruna that was the landowner, said to David, let my Lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here, here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. That's good wood. It's not normally what you would burn. But the guy says, look, you can take anything I have. I give it to you. Verse 23, O king, Aruna gives all of this to the king. Aruna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. Now, David had gotten it wrong, but he finally figures it out. Listen to his response. It's beautiful. But the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Because a sacrifice is a sacrifice because it's a sacrifice. And if it costs you nothing, it's not a sacrifice. So make sure your sacrifice to the Lord actually is a sacrifice. It needs to cost you something, whether financially or in terms of time or your ability, whatever. Make sure it costs you something or it is not a sacrifice to your Lord. Old furniture that is worth nothing is not a sacrifice. The story is told of the missionary who asked a new convert it was in a foreign country. He had won or led this man to the Lord. His name was Pablo. And so he said, Pablo, if you had a hundred sheep, would you give me 50 of them for the Lord's work? You know, I would gladly give them, he replied. Pablo, if you had 50 cows, would you give me 25 to the Lord's work? The missionary asked. Of course I would. I would be more than happy 
To do that came the confident reply of Pablo. Once again, the missionary asked Pablo, if you had two pigs, would you give me one of them for the Lord's work? That's not fair, Pablo said. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> We're all sacrificial until it means actually sacrificing something. And then it gets difficult. Let me ask you, in this rhetorical question, don't raise your hand, don't confess anything. But I want you to be honest with yourself. God knows the answer already. When was the last time you genuinely sacrificed anything to God? I mean, sacrifice, not just give him a tip or give him a couple minutes. When was the last time you genuinely sacrificed to God? And listen, if you don't ever sacrifice in your faith to God, what do you expect to receive from that? Another ad, uh, excuse me, one of, the, one of the Ag Council's most effective public service commercials was called the Don't Almost Give campaign. One ad shows a man with crutches struggling to get up a flight of steps. The narrator says this, this, this man almost learned to walk at a rehab center that almost got built by people who almost gave money. After a pause, the narrator continues, almost gave. How good is almost giving? About as good as almost walking. Another ad shows a homeless man curled up in a ball atop a pile of rags. He's covered with a ratty bed sheet, kind of like this one. <laughs> the narrator begins, this is Jack Thomas. Today, someone almost bought Jack something to eat. Someone almost brought him to a shelter. Someone almost gave him a warm blanket. Then after a pause, the narrator drives his point home. And Jack Thomas, well, he almost made it through the night. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice unless you have to sacrifice something. Number two, give to God gladly. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Give to God gladly. If you're going to give to him, Give to him gladly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, as Paul is speaking this famous passage, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's the law of harvest. You reap what you sow. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. By the way, may I stop there just a moment to say that's why I don't hound you time and time again on tithing sermons. Because I don't want to twist your arm then or today about tithing. I don't want you to give one penny ever to this church that you don't want to give. It needs to be with joy or it's a waste of time and a waste of money. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. By the way, he goes from tithing money, did you notice in the end, to every good work. Tithing of our time and our energy and our talents. Number three, remember giving produces blessings. Giving produces blessings. This was a key principle for Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he says this. 
These are the words of Christ. Give, and it will be given to you. Do you believe that? I mean, just point blank. Do you believe the words of Christ? Do you believe he's lying to you or he's trying to sell you something? Or do you believe he's telling you the truth? He makes this promise, give, and it will be given to you. Now, you won't win the billion dollar lottery. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> but he is saying, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It may be the biggest illusion of Christians in our world today that we think that we can get something for nothing. We can do nothing, give nothing, care about nothing, and that because we go to church, because we identify as Christians, that God's just going to bestow us with good things anyway. That's not what Jesus says. Give and it will be given to you. The great preacher and renowned Christian author A.W. Tozer makes this observation. Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will not be judged by how much I have done or by how much I could have, uh, excuse me, it will not be judged by how much I have done, but by how much I could have done. In God's sight, my giving is measured not by how much I have given, but how much I have left after I have made my gift. Not by its size is my gift judge, but, how, but by how much of me there is in it. No man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says it this way. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits, there's that word again, first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats with overflow with new wine. That principle has not changed in the last 3,000 years since that proverb has been written. Give and God will take care of you. Henry Parsons Crawwell contracted tuberculosis when he was a boy and he couldn't go to school. His father died of tuberculosis. His brother died of tuberculosis and he should have died too. He made a contract with God though when he was alive. He said this, if he, were, he said to God, if he were to be spared, he would, when he grew up, use his abilities to amass large sums of money for evangelism. Told that to God. Made God that deal. For the next 50 years, he dedicated 70% of his income to kingdom causes. He bought a bankrupt mill in Ravenna, Ohio in 1881. He believed that God endowed him with bold ideas in the success of the company he founded called Quaker Oats. He was one of the wealthiest men in Chicago when he died in 1943. Crawwell viewed all things as a stewardship from God, including influence. Over the years, one businessman after another would comment on how he came to know Christ personally because of the life of integrity lived by Henry Parsons Crawwell. He was a man who gave with a purpose. And his giving produce blessing. So today, God doesn't deserve our trash. 
He deserves our best. God has done so much for us. So find a way to give back to him sacrificially, gladly, generously, and claim the promise of Christ for yourself. Give, and it will be given to you. Pray with me. Father, we come to you right now and we acknowledge we all have old trashy couches that in one way or another we've tried to give to you in our life. Maybe another kind of piece of furniture or maybe something else in our life. Maybe it's our time or our talent or our money or something else. And we throw in a couple of bucks and call it good. Or we give something, we call it a sacrifice, but it's no different than a diseased animal that's going to die anyway, that the priests were putting on the altar and considering it good enough. Your word tells us very clearly, and it does not lie, all that is good enough is what is our best. Everything else is a waste of time. So whether it is praying over our meal today at lunch or giving to the needy or helping a neighbor or sharing our faith and our love for you in our heart or using our talents on the stage of this sanctuary or in the classrooms teaching children or adults in Bible studies or just doing whatever we can. If we have a trade, we use that for your glory. And Father, whatever we do, may it truly be a sacrifice that we not pretend, that we stop pretending that nothing is something because you know the difference. You know our abilities. You know how much we have and what we have and what we can do. So forgive us for those times where we come to you and we say, we'll give you an hour of our time just because we're bored and we don't have anything else to do that day. But if we do think of something to do, then it's off, it's gone. Forgive us. Father, we ask and pray that you would help us through your spirit to give you of the first fruits of our time. We wake up in the morning and when we have the most energy, we dedicate that time to you in a quiet time in prayer, we go throughout our day that we use the time and the abilities you give us for your glory. And when we get that paycheck, we give that for your glory. Father, I pray that you would remind us that you don't want a penny from us if it's not given in joy. It is unworthy of you if we give and complain. That if we serve in some capacity in your kingdom, as a teacher or a helper of some kind or a coach or, or however we're going to serve, that we should do it with joy on our heart, not grudgingly, knowing that's where the blessing is, knowing you know what's in our hearts. Oh, Lord, you created us. We did nothing to be created. You just did that because you loved us. He created this amazing universe that we don't even begin to comprehend. We can't even find the edge. We have no clue of the scale of your majesty and the extent of your mercy. You gave us a world that is beautiful and stunning to look at. 
We look at those mountains and those snow-covered pine trees in the video and we just are in awe. How did you do that? How do we know that's beautiful? How, How does our mind even conceive of that? And then you give us this amazing, beautiful, wonderful gift of the knowledge of you through your word. That even though we didn't know, while we were still wallowing in our sins and our lives are dark and without purpose or meaning, you sent your son to die for us. On the cross, in our place for our sins, for your glory. That you you offer us new life and at some point somebody told us that. Somebody told us that we're lost and that we need to be saved and that we can be saved because of your love and mercy. And at some point, many in this room have given their lives to Jesus Christ, confessed him as their Lord and their Savior, and in belief and faith, know that he rose from the dead in three days. And you've redeemed them. Thank you. Now, Father, after you created the universe, you created mankind, you made us and gave us this beautiful world, You redeemed us through the blood of your son. After all of that, we just give you the rattiest old couch that we have and call it good. Oh, forgive us. Forgive us. This week, may we give sacrificially. This week in some way, whether it's our money, our time, our talents, or whatever it is, may we sacrifice for a God who loves us that much. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you today to do that very thing? Just between you and your God, God, this week, I will sacrifice for you. And the Spirit will put on your heart how he wants you to do that and what area and way in your life you probably already know. Find a way. God will guide that you can give him what is worthy and that is your best. It may be God is calling you or your family to serve here at First Baptist Church. You want to come up and say, Pastor, today we want to join. We want to become members here. You want to come and pray. Or you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. Today is the day and now is the time that you can do that. If God is leading, this opportunity is for you. Would everyone stand? No one's looking around. As you stand, as you continue to pray right now, if God is leading, you come.